Hello and welcome to High Tea Obsessed. I am your host, Thomas Boomhauer, and today you find yourself listening to a Halloween episode of the show, a little bonus episode for you before our bid kick off next week. Today I wanted to talk about something a little spooky, you know, for Halloween, so I tossed around a few ideas in my head. I thought about doing some Black Eyed Kids stories, which are, you know, plenty scary, but pretty repetitive, so I decided against that. Um, I considered doing either Dogman or, like, you know, Ruderoo stories, but that didn't really feel quite right. And I also considered doing Shadow Beans, which is, like, you know, people seeing shadows in their room, like, Shadow People, Grinning Man, Hat Man, that type of thing. Uh, but those were honestly, like, a little bit too scary for me to research. I didn't really feel like dealing with that and then waking up and feeling like something was watching me or something, something creepy. So I was just like, yeah, let's skip that. Um, so I put it on Instagram, and Dogman did win that vote, but my good friend Chris, you know him, he suggested that I do a story on Skinwalkers, a strange sort of horrifying creature that originated in Native American uh, stories and cultures from the, what is now the southwestern United States, specifically the Navajo Nation, and because we do see some reports of sightings of these creatures pop up today, I thought it would be interesting to talk about. So on this episode, we're going to be getting into a little bit of background into the skinwalkers and then talk about some modern sightings of them. I'm also going to get a little bit into stories of the Wendigo, which are sort of similar creatures described in Algonquin stories and legends. Uh, And the Algonquin are a, it's like a language that indigenous people in the, uh, Plains, Great Lakes, and Northeast of the United States today. Um, That's sort of where that language group is from and where those nations were living and had their stuff going on back in the day. And there are still populations of them today, of course. Anyway, uh, before I get into all that good stuff, I want to give you a little tease about what's going on here. Next week, Season 3 of High T Obsessed is going on, all about heists. So there will be 20 new episodes. And I will be covering 10 heist movies and 9 real-life heists. That's the plan, anyway. With a final episode to be dedicated to my friends and I drafting a heist movie crew. So, you know, we'll have a wheelman, we'll have a leader, we'll have a top chasing them, stuff like that. So there will be more details coming out for that. But for now, I'm back next week, starting Monday, with 5 new episodes. One each day. And then... One episode will drop every Tuesday, and that should bring us into about February 8th. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, Stay tuned. There'll be more details dropping as that season goes, and then formulate another plan for season four. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, So super excited for all that. But on the other side of this here break, I'm going to be talking all about Skinwalkers. As listeners to this show likely already know, something that's really important to me when I discuss these paranormal or unusual stories, topics, ETC, stuff like that, 
I always want to try and get as close to the bottom of these origins as possible. So I want to be like as authentic as I possibly can as, um, you know, a white guy talking about these many hundreds of years later for the most part. I think it's crucial to get as possible to the origin of these phenomena, and it's especially important to me when dealing with myths, stories, and cultures associated with indigenous peoples in North America for what I would assume would be obvious reasons. So that said, I attempted to find Navajo stories and first-hand accounts from indigenous people containing the origins of the Skinwalker and their culture, their history, their stories, stuff like that. But because the Skinwalker is such a real and integral part of their traditions, the belief in Skinwalkers is that includes a, tab a taboo that even mentioning them is bad luck. It's just like such a frowned upon thing, especially with strangers and like even after dark, stuff like that, just is thought to invite bad luck. Due to that, you know, I wasn't able to find anything from Navajo sources. There were a few books and scholarly articles, but I couldn't access them given the time frame of when I decided to do this episode and when I wanted to release it. And one thing that I did encounter was a lot of criticism of J.K. Rowling, her weird dismissal and inclusion of them, of Skinwalkers, that is, in her North American wizarding school stuff and discussing indigenous Americans' wizarding ways and their mistrust of Skinwalkers. And it was just like a, like a saddening and disheartening caricature of Native Americans and simplification of their cultures and making them a monolith and just stuff we don't like. And one probably unintended consequence is that a lot of indigenous peoples were asked about Skinwalkers. And it was just, you know, it's not ideal because it's taboo to talk about. That's just based on the articles I read that were from indigenous people, uh, a couple of them at least. So, you know, I wanted to include that. Anyway, all that said, Skinwalkers are typically associated with the Navajo people. But like I said in the intro, many indigenous nations in what is now the southwestern United States have stories of creatures that could be associated with Skinwalkers. And it does seem that the stories I have are mostly from indigenous peoples who have encountered these creatures. There are differences in these stories uh, between the different nations, and there's different origins about why Skinwalkers came to be in general. Some think that it was uh, like Abenaki rituals. Some think it was a necessity brought on by displacement by the United States as they were colonizing that area. Um, like the forced marching of the tr nations out of their homes, stuff like that. But the main commonality when we looked at the Skinwalker themselves is that they are thought to be a malevolent witch who has the ability to shapeshift into animals. Uh, some stories include the ability to possess animals as well. Some are like they can possess people. If you look at one in the face, it can take your form, it can take over your body. Uh, some say that like it'll you'll be so afraid it'll root you in place there's like a lot of stuff going on with looking at a skinwalker in modern encounters despite the shape-shifting abilities of these skinwalkers and it's they could turn into foxes wolves crows like all the usual suspects of ominous animals type of thing like things that you don't necessarily get good vibes from anyway despite this power modern sightings a lot of the time it'll be like a weird mismatch like there's something not quite right with the animal you're seeing, like maybe the limbs are a little too long, maybe it has like human-like hands, maybe it has a human face on a body of an animal, or vice versa, animal face on the body of a human. 
um, sort of just like the uncanny valley type of thing where it's like just not quite right. Uh, the Navajo name for Skinwalkers is, I believe this is the correct pronunciation. I looked it up extensively. It's Yi Naudelushi or Yi Naudelushai, which translates to by means of it, it goes on all fours. So basically it means it's a creature that walks on all fours. And if I mispronounce it, it's I suck at pronouncing things. I have a hard time like shaping the things uh, as they sound in my head. Anyway, uh, there are variations not only on the grand origin stories of where Skinwalkers came to be, but also in individual Skinwalkers, like how they get their power. The most common is that a Skinwalker was a medicine man or high-ranking priest who has obtained supernatural powers through breaking a cultural taboo. Most often this taboo is a murder of a close family member, but also it could apparently be like seduction or corruption of a close blood family member so just things that are not great once they complete the ritual to gain this level of witchcraft skinwalkers are obviously banished forever from their tribe from their nation uh from their group right but considering that they knew that this was going to happen it seems that the skinwalker probably was already on the outs with their tribe like they already weren't really a fan of them so it's not a huge loss but they are ostracized from their community. Because the skinwalker was associated with the ability to shapeshift into a coyote, wolf, cougar, fox, owl, or crow specifically, uh, the pelts of these animals are still widely restricted among the Navajo. Typically, they wear lamb or buckskin coat. In animal form, the eyes of a skinwalker are human. Like, you can tell they're human when you look at them. But in the human form, this is apparently reversed with them retaining the animal eyes of the animal that they shapeshift into. Some versions say that the skinwalkers have the ability to body snatch, take possession of your body if you lock eyes with them. Some said they can read your thoughts if you do this or even mimic your voice and they use this to lure relatives deep into the woods. Uh, so basically one thing with this is that if you are in the woods and hear someone calling your name, it's best to avoid spinning around to look at them type of thing. There are also similar types of stories. Sometimes with uh, Legends of the Ruguru, you hear coming from the swamps of Louisiana. But that's a story for another time. It is also said that the only way to truly kill a skinwalker, and it's very difficult to do, but you have to use a bullet, sometimes a knife, like a metal instrument, a metal weapon, coated in white ash. But even that's no sure thing. Traditionally, Navajo legends, include a, including Skinwalkers, are varied. Some include encounters that end in a stalemate that seem to include like winners and losers and would be thought of today as morality lessons, morality plays, that type of thing. The main thing connecting stories, these stories is that the Skinwalkers in them are deeply evil. In modern sightings, the alleged Skinwalker encounters typically take on a more trickster-like um, vibe. So, like, they're partial encounters, they don't really see what's going on, they're more eerie than outright evil. So I know I just said that the Navajo stories containing skinwalkers were sort of resemble, like, what we would call moral lessons. It's important to note that these were and also are considered deadly serious, and the evils of the skinwalkers were so feared that it was considered bad luck to talk about them with strangers or after dark, specifically was considered bad luck to talk with them 
talked about that with people outside of the Navajo. Uh, so even though I call them moral lessons and stuff like that, that's more of our like Western colonial modern understanding of these stories and not indicative necessarily of their purpose, though it may have been the case. Uh, I have not studied the Navajo very deeply. Modern encounters with alleged skinwalkers typically take on a partial encounter type with the protagonist escaping from the creature after being temporarily vulnerable. So, like, you're out hiking and you hear a weird noise, you get back to your car, you're fine, you see something weird. Uh, you're in your house, you see something weird, you stay inside, that type of thing. Many alleged encounters, and these may not be indicative of skinwalkers, but just grouped under the skinwalker tied up by the internet. But a lot of these include uh, these inhuman sounds. And like inhuman sounding people screaming help or hey. And the assumption is that this is to get people deeper into the bush. Uh, this is also pretty reminiscent of stories of the Windigo, which are similar in some ways to Stan Walters, mostly just that they're deeply evil creatures. Uh, but these originate, like I said, with the Algonquin people in the northeastern United States. And I will talk about more of those later. So some of the videos I was talking about earlier circled around TikTok, and they can be found on YouTube as well, of course. One was of a guy on a horse, and he hears this thing that sounds halfway between like a person and a baby goat. So, like a kid, just in general, going uh, like saying "Hey," and you can't see what's doing it. He's just trotting along, doing his thing, and then his horse freaks out and gallops away. Once it says "Hey" twice, the horse immediately freaks out. Horses are very skittish, so that could be anything. It could have been reading the rider's fears even and all these encounters where it's someone with a camera and we don't see what makes the noise and all the sounds should be fake right they could be they have a buddy standing out cam off camera making these noises they could be putting in the audio and post but a few summers ago my girlfriend and i got lost in a hike we we're on trail the whole time we just did a wrong turn and turned a five mile hike into a 25 mile hike so two weird things happened on this hike uh, including us getting lost, well, not including us getting lost. Uh, at one point, we heard laughing behind us, and so we kind of stopped to see, like, let this person catch up, so we'd be like, hey, where on the trail are we? What's the best way to get down? That type of thing. And we waited for a little bit, and nobody really came. Like, nobody at all came, I'm sorry. So we didn't see anyone, and we just resumed the walk. So that's not super weird. Maybe they just stayed longer behind us than we thought, had to go to the bathroom. Maybe they just turned around. Maybe they were further off, and the sound just carried that sort of thing. Uh, but then later on, towards the end of the hike, starting to get dark, uh, we were almost out of the woods, literally. I heard something, definitely not a human, and I assumed to be a bird of some sort, saying, hey, 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 repeatedly. And, you know, it was weird, and it freaked me out, but I didn't really think anything of it. Like I said, I thought it was a bird. I still think it was a bird, but it sounded eerily like what I heard, I uh, saw in the video, heard in the video, I guess which I will include a link to in the show notes. But that video occurred in Arizona. My setting, my weird thing occurred, occurred in New York. So that's weird. And then also, like, I don't know. The, the way that thing said hey and the way my thing said hey was different. So it wasn't like he just took, I don't know. Anyway. Uh, so normally I'd be more inclined to dismiss these videos as fake, specifically that one, and they probably still are, you know, seems fair to say, but because of my own experience, these stories have me a little freaked out, which is why I descended down this path and I'm doing the Stinwater topic now. 
and I just think in general like they're not nothing really stare deeply like horrifying happens in these stories there's just this weird eeriness that lingers and creeps me out at least and I hope they do the same for you so obviously I'm not claiming to have encountered a skinwalker or a windigo I'm just saying because of my own experience hearing some weird animal calls that sounded human-like in the woods these stories freaked me out a great deal and made me want to talk about them here so anyway let's get into it our first set of stories come from the website Phantoms and Monsters, which is run and operated by a gentleman by the name of Lon Strickler. So this website is a great resource for anyone interested in the paranormal, because there's a ton of alleged first-hand encounters with all manners of creatures. Like literally any creature you can think of, they got a story about it. Reached out to Lon because the guys from Expanded Respectives use the stories a lot, and they encouraged me to reach out to him, and he gave me permission to share these stories on my podcast. So be sure to check out the show notes so that you can read them and check out his website for yourself. All right. So our first story introduces us into the topic. A little easy breezy, a little funny story. Just, you know, let's get into it. The story begins. I started dating a beautiful native girl. I say God bless. God bless. I hope they worked out. Anyway, I started dating a beautiful native girl, but there's been trouble with an ex-boyfriend of hers. And recently, strange things have started to happen around my property. I live on a ranch in southern New Mexico. It's pretty isolated. But lately, I've started seeing shadows and shapes moving around outside at night. And coyotes, which had never been too much of a problem, have started coming into the yard. I even think I saw one in the house one night, but I can't be too sure of that. One morning, I found a feather laying in front of my door. I quickly called my girlfriend. She told me not to touch it, but wouldn't say why. I can't explain it, but this is starting to seem like something dot 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 out of the ordinary. So, like I said, not a lot to this story. I just kind of brought it up because I thought it was kind of funny. And it's a nice little warm-up to some of the weird, unusual encounters people have. Nothing outright scary, just like a weird ramp-up of animal activity that doesn't necessarily feel animal-like. Doesn't seem natural to the native wildlife. And this could just be like a random case of like weird mysticism of Native American stuff by a non-indigenous individual. And then like coincidentally, he's starting to get all these animals all over his property. You know, so let's just move on. This story starts in media res. All of a sudden, we heard the dog barking at what seemed to be a flute playing in the distance. My grandma didn't seem bothered, but I started to freak and my little brother was scared too. About an hour later... As me and my brother had just dozed off, we heard a knock on the door. I was happy since I thought it was my parents, so I got up quickly and started to run to the door. As I was running, my grandma yelled for me to get away from the door. I froze. She had never yelled at me like that before. She yelled at the door in Navajo, Who's there? But there was no answer. She yelled at it again. This time the knock on the door got louder and more rapid. My grandma sat back on her chair and yelled, Go away! We don't want you here! Leave us alone! In Navajo. The dots grew to pounding this time. My little brother and I sat down by my grandma. The dogs began to bark loudly, and then there was a thumping on the roof as if someone was walking on top of the house. The person was still at the door. All of a sudden, at the, nearest window, at the window nearest to the door, a black figure appeared, but it did not have the outline of a human. It began pounding the door and tried to force the doorknob. This continued for over half an hour <laughs> while my brother and I cried in fear. My grandma, who still seemed not bothered by this, began to sing in Navajo. Then suddenly, 
dead silence. We sat there frozen in fear, listening to see if it was still waiting. In the side windows, we saw car headlights. It was my parents and older brother. The beast had fled. So that's, you know, that's scary. You know, we got a little kid. Thinks his parents are coming home and said it's a monster. There's like weird pounding on the door. Sees a giant beast in the window and something on the roof. This just goes on for a half hour. And I laughed because it's just like when something goes on that long, it's kind of hard to believe, I feel like. Especially combined with the grandma yelling but seemingly being unbothered. But that could just be, you know, a little kid misremembering the story. Could be a tornado or something. Who knows? Um, this next story is also from Phantoms of Monsters. Monsters. My grandpa lived in Mighton, Utah. He always told me stories about skinwalkers and how they could take the form of any animal or anyone you knew. I asked him one day, did you ever meet one? He told me, yes, a very long time ago, before you were even born, before your mother was born, when I was still so young and foolish. I went to the Skinwalker Valley. It is a valley where life never wanders to. Not even the crows, the very guardians of death, will go there. They fear the evil that lives out there. So, you know, right away, I'm in. That's a scary start to a story. The story continues. You went out there, didn't you? I asked. He nodded. Yes, to show them nothing existed out there. Nothing but their fears. But I was wrong. He continued to say that he had gone up to Skinwalker Valley in his old truck to prove to everyone that everything they thought they knew were just stories to scare them. He remembered the grass was black as if it had been burned as if it had been burned. The trees were dead but still alive. He had seen a house. It was old and the roof was caved in and the door was gone. He walked to it. There were marks on the side of the house. Animal skeletons were everywhere around the house as if it were a sacred burial ground. He then heard her. His grandmother, who had died long ago, but he heard her. They were calling for him for his life, for his skin, for his blood, and for his soul. They were the lost souls that they could... They were the lost souls they could change form from man to beast. They chased him, they had stared him, but they never forgot him. Whenever I visited him, he would have something of his that was brand new broken the next day, crushed or killed. He finally stopped keeping his dogs outside. The story continues. Um, the boy didn't believe his grandfather, so eventually his grandfather shows him his back, where he was all torn up. And then shortly after, um, the grandfather passed away, which the storyteller attributed to the Skinwalkers of long ago catching up with him after he told the story, which is sort of, you know, reconnects to the myth. So I thought that one, um, there was some weird writing stuff, but some of it was also pretty good with, like, calling for his skin, for his blood, and for his soul. Like, that's cool. That's just a cool line. But, you know, that's scary. Like, imagine you're just out on a walk. See this empty house. You hear your dead grandmother calling for you. And then a bunch of people, like, blood-curdling screams trying to kill you. Not great. Not ideal. This next story, also from Phantoms and Monsters, goes like this. As a teenager, I would visit my grandma at her home on the Navajo Res for several weeks every summer. I loved to spend time with her, eat her delicious fried bread, and hear her tell us stories. Every so often, my grandma would hire a worker, the harmless town drunk, to do odd jobs around her house and property. One evening, right before the sun went down, I was asked by my grandma to take him home, which was about four miles out of the valley where she lived. I was more than happy to, seeing that I was only 14 years old and she just asked me to drive a truck. Mind you, 
on the res, nobody really cares that you're only 14 years old and driving around. Hell, there's hardly anybody around to see you anyway. So my nine-year-old brother jumped in the truck cab with me while this worker and my dog shared the tailgate of the truck, and we are off. After I dropped the worker off at the shack that he and his brothers called the house, we headed back down the road to Grandma's. As I mentioned before, it was evening, and the sky was a deep red as the sun began to set behind us. We were leaving a nice dust trail from the dirt road, and the radio was playing music from the only radio station that could be picked up from the nearest town of Holbrook, Arizona. There was nothing unusual, nothing weird. It was at this time that my eye caught movement of something in the bushes a little up the road to the right of us. I remember slowing down, thinking that it was one of the many free-roaming sheep in the area that would dart out in front of the truck. As I passed where I thought I saw it, I sped up, thinking nothing of it. Then, out of nowhere, I just got this dark feeling of fear and dread. I had no idea why I was feeling this way, but I definitely felt that something was wrong. As I play this memory back in my mind, there was only a few clear memories that I have of that evening. I clearly remember looking in my rearview mirror and seeing the dark silhouette of something very tall and very skinny that seemed to be covered with some kind of hair or fur running behind the truck after us. Whatever it was, it wasn't a normal human, or human at all. I remember hearing my brother crying and my dog barking ferociously at whatever was chasing us. I remember speeding very fast and shaking violently as the truck bounced on the washboard dirt road. I distinctly remember that this thing was only getting closer as my brother cried, It's coming up on your side! I remember being as scared as hell and thinking that I didn't want to die. At the moment that I thought would be our last, I remember speeding around a bend in the road and seeing a car coming towards us in the opposite direction. At that moment, I felt instant relief and felt that whatever was following, following us was gone. Shaken up but alive, we made it to Grandma's house, wondering what the hell had just happened. We ran inside, not looking back, hoping that whatever was chasing us had not followed us home. As we told my grandma about our experience, she didn't seem too surprised, which surprised us. She continued by repeating stories that we had already heard at one point or another about black magic, witches, and something that the Navajos call ye nadlushai, or skinwalkers. Needless to say, I didn't even want to look out any of the windows at all the rest of the night. As a matter, as a matter of fact, I never drove on the reservation at night again until I was 21 years old. Without too, going too deep into explanation, I'll just say that these skinwalkers are evil men and spirits. They use black magic for evil doing. I tell you that as far-fetched as it may sound, they are real. Um, So that one is scary. And it's, I think, represents these stories best. It's just like something weird following you, trying to get at you, but failing to do so. Uh, but that's all I have from Phantoms and Monsters that I wanted to share. And there's a lot more, but a lot of them are similar or, like, short or not, like, super necessarily well-written. Or, I like, didn't hit me, really. Um, and I also wanted to keep this, like, a reasonable length. Here's another story I found. And this was from someone who was researching Skinwalkers and, like, tricksters, shapeshifters of the Southwest Indigenous Nations for a book. And this is a story that apparently actually happened to them, like, while they were doing their research. And after being asked about uh, Stinwalkers by someone who thought they might have been cursed by one. Okay. 
In late 1998, a prominent member of the Crestone, Colorado community where I lived approached me. She casually asked me what I knew about Indian witchcraft. The request was out of character, and I instantly sensed something unusual behind her low-key request. I related to her basic information pertaining to rituals of intent and protection, the use of power talismans and the like, and she interrupted me, took me aside, and told me about a strange adorned animal spine and skull bundle that had been found hanging on a creek behind her house. Hanging on a creek, interesting. What does that mean? Uh, it seems she had recently experienced a falling out with a visiting Native American medicine man, and then sometime later the scary looking bundle turned up near her house. She had a mystery on her hands, and naturally, she thought of the two events as being linked somehow. Did I know what the bundle was or what it was used for? She claimed it had immediately been disposed of and hadn't been saved. But it was obvious that she was concerned enough about the artifact to ask me for my opinion. Without seeing the bundle and studying it, making note of the objects and how they were arranged, it was difficult for me to translate or interpret, but I offered to conduct a cleansing and blessing at the spot where the scary-looking artifact was discovered. Several months went by, and everything seemed normal. She never mentioned the event again, nor did I ever ask her for an update on this peculiar situation. Some questions are better left unasked, and this was one of them. Some months later, I moved out into the valley to a century-light two-story house with a majestic view of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, three miles to the east. The house was completely surrounded by a lush elk meadow with nary a tree or a neighbor within a quarter mile. The house was feebly equipped with a 500-watt solar system that would barely power my computer on a sunny day. One evening, Wednesday, November 10th, 1999, at 6.20pm, I was taking a shower in the attached greenhouse. Looking out the west-facing plate glass window that made up the western side of the greenhouse, I noticed, with a start, what could only be, be described as an antler-adorned, six-foot-tall, bipedal creature gliding across the front of the windows from left to right. The bean was in the shadow just out of the thin light projected out to the yard, but I was able to easily discern its distinctive shape. When I first noticed movement, I was facing sideways to the window and only had a peripheral view of the apparition. But as I turned, I distinctly witnessed something the lights of which I've never seen before or since. Looking back at the event today, I'm surprised I wasn't completely freaked out after seeing this apparition as I was standing naked, all soaked up, soaked up. But looking at my notes, I am reminded that the weirdness didn't end there. Later that evening, at 11.30pm, I was with my friend Amber. We observed what appeared to be a, dry, a prairie dragon-like form travel from the porch through the dog door into the living room. Amber and I simultaneously saw a transparent beige-colored form enter through the dog door, which was only two feet away from us. We both heard what sounded like a dog whine. I learned later that what I witnessed while taking a shower is eerily similar to Dene, which is the, their word, the Navajo word for themselves, Dene accounts of a skinwalker lurking about. There are sometimes, they are sometimes depicted wearing antlers, and whatever it was I witnessed definitely had an impressive rack. Heyo. Uh, the coyote light form my friend Amber and I witnessed later that evening put an exclamation point on the day, but reviewing my event log, I'm reminded of another weird incident that occurred that prior late summer, early fall. I had been sitting downstairs alone watching TV in the living room when a rapid succession of rapping sounds circled the house around the wall of the second story above. The five or six rap banged in a 
clockwise circle around the house's upper story, and I bolted outside with a flashlight to see whatever it was. Nothing. I made note of it, but I'm still puzzled today, years later, what it could have been. While researching this chapter, I found that rapping sounds going around your house are attributed by some Navajo as being a skinwalker attempting to get your attention. And that was from ourstrangeplanet.com, skinwalkers in the witchery way. Um, so that's, you know, that's spooky. It's not what I want to see. Weird deer thing, weird prairie dog thing, like two skinwalker things back to back, plus the earlier one. Weird. Weird story. Uh, this next story was posted on Reddit on the Missing 411 sub. Missing 411 is like the are these books by David Politis who claims to be a detective and he's investigating like missing persons cases stemming from American National Parks. A lot of people attribute different things in the paranormal sphere. It's like basically whatever you believe in paranormally is what you think is causing this. So like aliens, Dogman, Bigfoot, fairies, whatever, like anything. And it's sort of like a litmus test for your paranormal beliefs. Um, anyway, so this incident was posted by a person who claimed to be from Woodstock, Ontario, which a quick Google search revealed to not to be not that woodsy. And I saw this because it was cross-posted to a Skinwalker sub on Reddit as well. Uh, this story is more indicative of Windigo stories and also it's more in line with where Wintergo myths originated but more on that in a minute story begins i decided to take my dogs for a walk today on one of the trails near my house i told my husband i was heading out and wouldn't be dawn long van sitart woods environmental education center was where i ended up i got there around 11:30 a.m eastern standard time and away we went Absolutely beautiful day. Trails were totally empty. The perfect walk conditions. I had my two female Alaskan Malamutes with me. This is important later, I promise. We headed down the green trail since it was the shortest and went by some marsh bobs and the girls loved to watch the ducks. The walk was uneventful for the first little bit. Just the birds chirping, trying to get some birdie loving, the wind in the trees, the usual forest sounds. And then I heard my name. Weird. But could be someone with a radio on a different trail. Both my dogs were looking in the direction that I heard it coming from. Uneasy feelings start setting in, but like every rational person, I chalk it up to an overactive imagination and continue on. Then I hear my name again, a little louder and a little more insistent, if you will. Instead of looking towards where the sounds were coming from, I look at my dogs, who are both staring in the direction of my name, and I notice that my older female's hackles were slowly rising. Time to go. She's not happy. I decided to turn around and go back the way we came. We had only gone maybe 10 minutes down the trail, so it was faster just to turn back. The sign at the trailhead said it was a 45-minute loop. I hear my name again. We walked faster because now the hattles on both my dogs are up. One is 2 years old and her daughter is 8 months old. Hattles up on a puppy is definitely a sign that she's scared. Then I noticed that my dogs aren't pulling me. They're last in Malamutes. They're bred to pull. Anytime we walk, literally anywhere on a leash they are pulling. These two dogs are directly beside me, one on the left and one on the right. Kivli now has a low, constant growl as she's warning whatever she can't see to fuck right off. On our way back, the exact route we came, there was a lot in the middle of the trail. I could see my shoe prints in the mud and my dog's prints heading in the direction under this log. This log was not there on our way in. 
was big enough and awkward enough that I had to go around it not far off the trail, just a few steps. I say, come on, Tiv, come on, Echo, let's go. They follow reluctantly. We hustle back onto the trail. Then I hear Echo's name. She looks. Shortly after, I hear Tiv. We're now on a light jog back to the car. The hairs on the back of my neck are standing up, and everything in my body is screaming run. I'm not gonna lie, the story's getting to me. <laughs> um, everything in my body is screaming run. Run faster. I hear my name again, this time angry. The closer we get to the trailhead, the more desperate my name sounds. We're full on running now. When we get back to the parking lot, I notice that I can hear the wind and the birds again. I hadn't realized that I stopped hearing the bird and wind. We piled in the car as fast as I could get them and didn't look bad. Am I crazy? Did I upset something? I didn't take anything. I didn't move anything. I didn't touch anything. Anytime I take my dogs on trails, I'm careful to respect nature and make sure my dogs do too. We even bring our own sticks for them to carry if they want one so they don't take anything from the parks. So... That's a lot, and I don't know why, but for whatever reason, like, as I'm, that story specifically, maybe it's just the toll of them all and all this research and stuff, it's getting to me. I feel like something's staring at me right now. Anyway, uh, this story seems more in line with alleged counters with Windigo, who are associated with the Algonquin-speaking uh, peoples of the northeastern U.S., and I guess what it would be southeastern Canada. I think that's a little interesting, given where the incident allegedly took place because it's like right in that territory the wendigo or wendigo differ from skinwalkers because of course as we know indigenous peoples in america were and are vastly different from one another with different belief systems cultures and structures stuff like that wendigo without getting too deeply into it are creatures of insatiable greed and hunger which are often originally humans gone bad generally after eating another person but that's just like the typical oversimplified version. There's a million of them. Um, it's, it has to do with a lot of like, they're about greed. So it's insatiable for anything. But typically, especially in ancestral settings, it was greed for human flesh. So they're like skinny, stretched limbs, uh, skinny but always hungry. It's said to have a heart of ice and bring with it a sudden chill. Uh, some of the stories have the stretched limbs, ugly moving uh, move with uncanny speed and superior strength but this description differs among various nations modern western representations of this creature are different uh, a lot of them have antlers which is sort of a cross-pollination with other monsters endemic to indigenous cultural beliefs what is interesting to me is the motif of these windigo using mimicry to attract people deep in the woods calling out names screaming for help and that's because, you know, my weird story and also a lot of the stories attributed to Skinwalkers on YouTube videos and articles, stuff like that, they feature that behavior, which is more Windigo-like. And a lot of them take place in forests, whereas Skinwalkers are typically associated with the desert. Which, you know... Alright, but I don't want to get too into the Windigo thing. I think that could be its own episode. And this episode has already been a little long. Not too long, but a little long. So we'll leave that for now. Hopefully, maybe revisit it at another time. But I'm going to get out of here, folks. Uh, have a nice Halloween, everyone out there. And be sure to rate and review the podcast. Five stars only if you don't want Stan Waters when to go to come after you. Be sure to look out for the podcast on Instagram at high underscore obsessed underscore podcast. And on Twitter at 
HiTO Podcast. Uh, there I'm posting memes, reviews, and contest-free spoilers for the episodes. And like I said before, back next week, Season 3, all about heists. Until next time, peace out, be safe out there, happy Halloween, everybody.